As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. From Brevity Studios in New Zealand, I'm Ryan Wolf, and this is Guilt. On the last episode of Guilt, who killed Jordan Vidori? Quite a larger than life sort of guy, you know, like he was quite, uh, he, was, he was always quite neat to have a conversation with. He was quite sort of vibrant and energetic and, and uh, you know, he had a lot going on. 
but yeah, lots of conjecture. What I didn't like was the police actually coming and giving me a questionnaire, which had about 52 questions in it, and it was all about my neighbours. Yeah. There was nothing. Uh, <laughs> they didn't seem to be looking at any other angle. Because his body was not, it was quite badly mutilated. I know from the undertaker, he didn't want the kids to see because he had knife cuts on his arms and things. You can't just uh, let it go like this. Because people, there a lot of people of our family, they're waiting for it. To find out why, what's the reason, what's the purpose. That, that, person, that person doesn't have a conscience and I don't think he has any feelings. Because his heart it will be stainless steel. First off, I want to thank you all for your amazing support and feedback after episode one. Plenty of five-star ratings, but please keep them coming. It helps this podcast rise the ranks, and more importantly, get Jordan's story out there. When I set out making this podcast, I didn't want to set a specific time period between episodes because I wanted to let the story unfold naturally, and I didn't want to overpromise and underdeliver. My initial plan was to aim for one a month, but I'm going to try and aim for a shorter time frame because there's so much happening and I really want to share it with you. And you won't have to wait long. Episode 3 is going to be released one week from the date this podcast airs. Before we dive into this episode, I want to give you fair warning. This episode is going to throw a lot of information at you, so pay attention. I'll introduce a few key theories, but we won't be taking a deep dive into any of them just yet. But don't worry, we certainly will be investigating all these leads thoroughly in upcoming episodes. For now, let's just listen and absorb. Last week I walked into the antique store of Vivian Leonard and immediately knew I'd come to the right place. To recap, Viv owns the antique store Arkwright's Antiques. This is the oldest antique store in Paidoa. She more or less started the trend for the town. Over the years, Viv has been very outspoken about Jordan's murder and has become a town pinboard of sorts. People stop by and pass on information, things they've heard, different theories, rumour, facts, and she diligently keeps a mental track. This has rubbed a few people the wrong way, rightly or wrongly believing she's spreading misinformation and that she should just let it go. But the reality is that in this case, where so little is known publicly, one of these tidbits of information could hold the key to solving the case. Viv cares deeply about this case, and is the first to admit she's a bit of a blabmouth when it comes to the different theories. But that's exactly what I'm looking for. I told her I needed to hear all the rumours, no matter how crazy, so I can investigate each one in order to rule it out. And she welcomes this, a potential end to all the speculation. Initially, when I walk in the shop, it does look familiar. I've been here before, although years ago, and only as a casual bargain-hunting customer. This time, I come with a far different purpose in mind. As I enter the shop, I find an older woman struggling to scan her COVID QR code, an ironic reminder of the modern times we live in, given the age of the items in this antique store. Just pull it away a bit further. Back, 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 back. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Thank you. They can be a bit tricky, those things, can't yeah. they? 
nice store with a lot of a lot of cool things in here. Hi. You don't happen to be Vivian, do you? Yes, I am. Oh, okay. Um, my name's Ryan Wolf. I'm Hi. um I'm making a podcast about the murder of Jordan Vidori. Viv is in her sixties with silver hair and oozes a refreshing frankness and friendliness. Despite her twenty five plus years in business, she still happily greets each customer as they enter her store and points them in the right direction, with an apparent photographic memory of every item in her store. Something I realized very quickly was that she knew most of the people coming through the door, returning customers from far and wide looking for a bargain. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know, nine years. Got his little garden sussed around there. Um, I was wondering, would you be interested in, in having a chat? Maybe not now, obviously yeah. you're busy, yeah. but um, at some point? Definitely, yeah. Initially we make a plan to meet at a later time, but as I've now learned with interviews, things have a habit of just rolling from a brief chat into an hour-long conversation. We end up spending the next hour talking, Viv behind her counter, deftly dealing with customers, while answering my questions. Straight off the bat, she remembers Jordan's fieriness. I used to call him my guard dog because he'd caught burglars, um, you know, he'd hear them, because he lived there, he'd hear them kicking in my door, and he'd come out and say, what the hell are you doing? And they'd run around the corner and he'd, get away, yeah, you hear you bastards, and he'd scare them away, and then they'd come back and were kicking the door again. <coughs> and the council... Um, cameras, you could see this big tall guy and a smaller guy out on the footpath and they were just running and booting at my door and Jordan had come out again and he scared them away, they didn't get in that night but um, you could see where they'd, they'd broken one lock but there was another lock and they didn't get in so jokingly we, uh, I used to say he was my guard dog <laughs> well he was very good, it was felt good yeah. having a bit of security there mm, so yeah, pretty sad when it all went down in episode one, I mentioned the TV show Cold Case, which aired in September of 2020. In this episode, they detailed the way in which Jordan had been shot. These facts had never previously been released, and this lack of information had no doubt fueled the fire of the rumour mill over the previous eight years. We were led to believe, I was led to believe that he got shot in the back of the head, and so it was like an um, execution-style yeah. drug thing, which we thought, but then they showed it on TV, and he was, by the scuffle marks out there, they could see that he'd actually struggled with the yeah. gun and then it had gone off and gone through his arm and then his heart or something. So he actually got shot in the arm, which was, to me, that was quite a relief that, yeah. that it wasn't, you know... Well, and it probably puts wrong. to bed some rumours that, you know, by the sounds of that, it sounds... It may have been almost accidental in a way. Well, you, yeah, you they know, could like have just been robbing because he'd had his freezers robbed, um, stolen out of, and he, apparently he did go to the police about that. Yeah, well, that's so, interesting as well. Was he, he just sort of, of that kind of guy that he sort of took care of things well, on his own? Well, I suppose he didn't want the police sniffing around either, you know. Mm, so, and the police asked me at the beginning, you know, did I think he had anything to do with drugs? And I said, no, nah, no, no way. I said, he used to tell the kids, keep away from that shit, you yeah. know, don't touch that shit. But then a few years later, I met someone who used to work out at the Meatworks and he said that, mm, yeah, he was involved with P and it was like, really? Let's pause a moment to address a couple of the points Viv just made. First off, Viv's claim that Jordan's freezers had been robbed. At the back of Jordan's pizza shop, Mykonos, Jordan had some large freezers, which he used to store meat. At any one time, there could be hundreds of dollars worth of meat in these freezers. When I heard this, it piqued my interest. 
Could Jordan have heard thieves breaking into his freezers that night and confronted them? I managed to find a reliable source who does not wish to be named. I asked him about the supposed freezer robberies and whether Jordan went to the police. These are his words, but not his voice. I don't know if he made an actual police report. He had a lot of meat and stuff taken a couple of times. He'd had his tobacco stolen a couple of times from out the back as well. I asked if Jordan was the kind of person who would confront a burglar. Definitely. I asked if Jordan had any idea who the thieves might have been. He worked hard for what he had. He was pretty generous. Um, He didn't like thieves at all. If he did know, he probably would have kept that to himself. From everything we know about Jordan, I think it can be safely assumed that he would have confronted any burglars. And if this was the case, it could certainly have led to an altercation. However, the stretch for me is the loaded gun element. Would a burglar or burglars take a loaded gun just to steal some meat out of a freezer? I don't know the statistics on how common it is for a burglar to carry a loaded gun in New Zealand, but I'd assume it's not high. But that doesn't mean it's not possible. Now, on the surface, this is an extremely important piece of information. Multiple known burglaries in the months leading up to Jordan's murder. This gives us our only known motive at this point. I'm going to need to investigate the freezer lead thoroughly at a later stage. The second point Viv raised is the drug implication. In New Zealand, and probably anywhere in the world, any time there is an unsolved murder where the victim has been shot, people are going to speculate about drugs and gang involvement. And this case has been no different. I want to make clear that in my investigation to date, I have found no evidence that Jordan had any involvement in drugs or any gang connections whatsoever. In fact, Jordan seems to have been vehemently opposed to them. However, it is still a lead that must be pursued, and I will in a future episode. For now, Viv and I keep chatting. I explain to her what a podcast is and what my plans are for the investigation. It's then that she mentions a name that I haven't yet heard, but one that would come up again and again. Before we continue, I just want to be clear. No person has ever been charged with Jordan's murder, and any person is presumed innocent until proven otherwise. Has anybody mentioned Gareth Carey? Not yet, no. guy who had a ponytail, he come down from Auckland. No. And apparently he got mixed up with the triads in Auckland, and Jordan rescued him, but got him down to Pyre, and he worked for Jordan, And I think he stayed there with them for a while until he got a flat. And um, Jordan had given him the sack, booted him out. And strangely enough, on the night of the murder, he was working. So it was like, really, what? Mm." And then a lady who went in there for dinner that night um, took her husband in there and she introduced him to Jordan. And he said Jordan was visibly not... Um, himself really that night and he said the guy out in the kitchen was throwing stuff around and you know there was obviously something going on and she said to him are you alright and he said yeah yeah and she said you take care of yourself now and she patted him on the shoulder and he said yeah yeah yeah, I'm fine because they reckon he the police caught him on a one way ticket to China and they stopped him at the airport and it's just like hmm yeah but they'll be watching him I'm sure but his mother <coughs> that boy's mother 
rang me and she told me that her son had been in trouble with the triads and she said and he's got a few problems because he came and sold me some stuff that he pinched off her and she rang me and said have you bought anything off Gareth and I was sort of who and she said he works for Jordan next door and this is like I don't know how long before Jordan was murdered probably two or three months and I told her what I'd bought off him and she said well that was my father's my late father was a doctor and those things are mine two hundred dollars she said put them aside I'll come down I'll pay you and get them back she never ever came and then mm. the murder happened and we all thought it was Gareth because we knew he'd been sacked and but he was there that night so it's like mm. but he had a good alibi he reckoned he didn't leave the place he'd bought beers and gone home and the people that he was flatting with or living with gave, you know, did the, gave him an alibi. And I was like, well, if you're all drinking, how would you know if he didn't get up in the night and go out again? Or, But the police, they would have done all that yeah. investigating. Obviously, there's a lot to take in here, so let's break this down quickly. I have confirmed that Jordan did in fact hire a young man from Auckland to work in the store and that they did have a tense relationship at times. The claims about a one-way ticket to China seem a wee bit dubious, but if they were true, would need some explaining. Gareth's possible involvement with a gang known as the Triads is speculation at this point, but certainly worth noting. The claim that Jordan and Gareth had been arguing the night of Jordan's murder is obviously important, and if Gareth had been fired, what was the reason he was working on the night of Jordan's death, and why was he fired? And what was his alibi? Up until this point, Viv has filled me in on all the different theories, but they've been made up of a lot of speculation and hearsay. What she was about to say next was quite different and would make my hair stand on end. Actually, another thing that happened, which along the way, like about six years after Jordan was killed, um, the paper, local paper, come and they said, Could, you know, we're going to do a follow-up on Jordan, do you want... And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll help. I, you know, I'll do anything I can to help catch you ever killed him anyway they did a big story and a big picture this big on the front page of me and then and someone said oh you think the Haraki Herald would have a story because they're all owned by the same out so the next week another big story came out with it added to and it was like oh god shrink you know because then it was out there for everybody to see well <coughs> my girl was working here and I was over in the refinery and I get a phone call and she said oh there's this guy here who wants to talk to you Maori guy and um, gave me the phone it was raining outside I could barely hear and he said look I just read the story about you trying to find out who did the murder he said he said I know who did it and he said and he's dead now so he said just lay off just forget about it and I said well have you told the police this and he said yep he said they know he said it was my nephew he said and he got killed a couple of weeks ago a guy from Waihi but he was he was I think he got taken out, I don't know, but, but it was the, um, not the mongrel mob, um, anyway, he's, this guy was talking, he said they tried to nail it on my son, he said, but it wasn't my son, it was my nephew, and he said, and he's already dead, so Is over it? and out, so I mean, the plot thickened, you think, and then I think the police just thought that was just a sort of a smoke screen to... You know, saying he was already dead, and you think, well, was it was it yeah. this guy's son, or and why? 
So it yeah. really is, you know, but so I decided to butt out because someone said to me, you better shut the hell up and just mind your own business or, yeah. or they're gonna, they might decide to take you out. For me, this was a bombshell moment. If a man walked in person off the street into Viv's store and spoke with her and her staff member, that's direct evidence. It's not hearsay. And to me, that's absolutely key. It was at this point that Viv made it very clear that she wasn't going to say any more. I pressed her for the man's name, and although she says she knows this, she certainly wasn't going to be giving it to me. And while frustrating, I do understand. Some of the further details we spoke of off the record do implicate gang involvement, and while gangs in New Zealand, for the most part, have no interest in the goings-on of normal citizens, you definitely don't want them to come knocking on your door. So I respect Viv's decision not to speak further on the matter. However, I need to verify this lead. And fortunately we have another witness. One of Viv's staff, Sharon, was working that day, and in fact was the person that actually saw him in the store. I was curious to see if she remembers the day the same as Viv. A few days later, I called the store to have a chat. Let's jump ahead to that conversation quickly. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you a question about um, the man that came into the store that day. Oh, yeah, the married guy. Yeah, can I just ask you a couple of questions about him quick? Yes, sure, see what I can remember. Um, yeah, maybe just walk me through what happened that day. Oh, he just came in and he said, are you, are you Viv? And I went, no, I work for Viv. And he goes, oh, well, I'm here about um, Jordan. And I went, oh, yep. And he goes, something about his nephew or something. And I said, hey, look, just stop from, stop there. I'll ring Viv for you and see if I can see if she's around or whatever. And he goes, oh, yep, Okay. So I rang the cell phone and she was around at the refinery and I, and, and I said, can you talk now? And she goes, yep. So I gave him the phone and he just went up around where all our clothes are up the back there and unloaded. I asked Sharon if she'd heard any of the conversation with Viv and unfortunately she hadn't. However, I asked her what she remembered him looking like and she confirmed what Viv had said, that he was Māori, approximately 45 to 50 years old and dressed normally. I'm making a note of these details, as I think they're going to be important at a later date. I asked her if she thought he seemed threatening in any way. Or anything. Oh, no, not at all. No. Yeah. So you seemed quite friendly. Yeah. And then he just talked to Viv and then walked out. Yeah, talked to her around the back there and then talked to her for quite a while. And then just came back and gave me the phone and said, thanks very much, and off he went. While Sharon wasn't able to verify the contents of the phone call itself, she was able to confirm that the event took place. However, at this point I have very little to go on, with no name and few details. In murder investigations, it isn't unheard of for people to come forward and make false claims, even confess to crimes they didn't commit. The reality is that until I speak to this person, I just won't know. If true, these claims could be crucial in helping solve the case. Did Jordan's killer actually die in an unrelated event years later? Or is this just a decoy? A false lead? Or has this whole story just been misconstrued into something it's not? If you're listening to this, and you either are this person, or know who this person might be, and you would like to speak anonymously and clarify your story and what happened that day, please contact me at brevitystudiosnz at gmail.com. Clearly, 
this is an important lead, but until I have further details, it's going to have to be parked for the moment. Viv and I keep chatting, but the stream of customers coming into the store has become a river, and I decide to wrap up this interview and take my first opportunity to visit the scene of the murder. Viv points me in the right direction, and I walk back out of the store into a windy Paidoa day. Okay, well that was um, that was very interesting. Very interesting. A few different few different things to look at there. Uh, so I've just walked out of the antique store now, and I'm heading down down the street. Gonna have a look and see if we can find the spot. It's quite windy. I hope it's not too windy. I turn left out of the store and walk no more than 50 metres till I find a back entrance on the left. It's here that I find a sombre reminder that this event was quite real and a man lost his life in this spot almost 10 years ago. Okay, so I'm, I'm at the spot where Jordan was found and there's a plaque here, a black granite plaque on the wall in memory of Jordan Vidori, 23-6-1956. 186-2012. Our pizza man. Rest in peace. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I pause here for a moment, paying my respects to Jordan before making my way down the small back entrance. My immediate thought is how secluded this entrance is, tucked away down a side street. What could have brought Jordan's killer or killers here in the early hours of that morning? So I'm standing at the spot now where apparently there was a scuffle here, which is still out the back. And then Jordan managed to stumble about 18 metres out to the front gate. There's a few cars on the other side of the road at the moment, but I could imagine in the middle of the night this would be very quiet. There'd be no one down here. 
then the thing that really sticks out to me is that there's no reason why you would come down here. There's certainly no sign that there would be any kind of burglary potential down here. You know, it's corrugated iron fencing and quite a rough old looking building. Just sort of what you'd expect at the typical back entrance of old stores in a country town. definitely have to come back here late at night and get an idea of what it looks like. Actually something else I wanted to check was security lights. Now we're talking about 10 years ago but my thought would have to be were there lights out the back here? Now I can see that right now there are none. I take some time and have lunch and decide to quickly pop back in to see Viv before I leave. I'm interested to know how much has changed at the scene since 2012. What's changed since back oh, then? Oh, well, there was a bit of scrub, scrub and trees and things along the side. He's cleared it all. Oh, okay, so there was... It's totally changed, really. So it was more secluded than it is now. Uh, I saw there was an old yeah, stump I, there it, like it, it was, you could say secluded. Yeah, it was more sort of a bit of great green and greenery and that around. Yeah. He, the guy pulled all that out only a few weeks ago, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, he just ripped the whole lot out. There was big trees and that at the back. I was going to ask, um, in terms of lights and stuff, did there used to be sort of lighting down the back there? Nothing, it was dark. No, dark, dark as. Yeah. Those gates were normally locked at night, but that particular night they weren't. Yeah. Okay. And Linda, who was there, is left now. She's the one who found found him. Um, oh, Linda, what's her last name? Uh, I don't actually know her last name. We just called her Rusty. Rusty's was the name of her shop. Oh, okay, she had a shop. She was just Linda Rusty's. Yeah, she had the three shops that are now just been rented and because yep. she just sold them, so it's all changed. That's what I mean. They've just all opened up in the last since the first lockdown. You'll remember Linda from episode one. She was the person who actually found Jordan's body that morning. However, there was the two hour delay in her actually reporting this discovery to the police. I asked Viv her thoughts. Yes, that, that was, I don't know. That sticks out. I know, same, it did look odd. And her husband was a, he was a, um, under, undercover detective or whatever in a past life but he worked out of town and they were separated but Dick, this guy who was he's died since and apparently the police went to see him on his deathbed and you know asked him if there was anything he wanted to tell them and, and they spent two whole weeks out there at his house going over the whole place yeah. with a fine tooth comb found nothing, I yeah. mean he was a good guy he wouldn't yeah. have done anything Did you have any reason why there was that delay in time? No, I don't know why I don't know, I never asked her actually. It was odd, but I think when she found him, 
she rang Dick straight away, that's her yeah. ex-husband, and he said to her, go inside and stay there until I get there. Yeah. And so apparently she did. So, But that even wouldn't have taken two hours. He only lived out at Cranahack. And I mean, it would take you five minutes to throw your clothes on and come in, so that would be 10 minutes, 15 minutes at the most. So why the two hours, I do not know. I know there's been a lot to digest here, each lead seemingly almost as good as the next. And to be honest, I've only included about half here. There are a number of other potentially worthwhile angles to investigate that we'll get into in upcoming episodes, but I felt it was important to show what can happen when a town is left in a vacuum of information. Theories and rumours will over time fill this void, and as we'll find out, the longer time goes on, the more these rumours can develop and mould to fit a certain theory. It's crucial for me that I don't get caught up in this whirlpool of information. I need to begin this investigation with some clarity. The first step is to create an accurate timeline. Let's go over the reported events of that night. Jordan worked a normal shift at his pizza shop, Mykonos, and the last person to see him alive was someone making a bakery delivery at 10.30pm. Computer analysis then showed that Jordan was active on his computer and he shut this down at 1.30am. Two people from the funeral home across the street reported hearing a gunshot at around 2am. Jordan was then found at approximately 4am. The call to emergency services was made around 6am. All of these are times which have been provided by police, so this is the current most accurate timeline we have available. The first thing I want to do is confirm that these times are in fact accurate. I'm going to start with the staff at the funeral home, reportedly hearing a gunshot around 2am. To give you an idea of location, the funeral home is directly across the small side street from where Jordan's body was found slumped against the gate. A quick Google search, and I find that today it's occupied by Valley Funeral Services, so I give them a call. The guy that used to be here, he's left the company. He's now, um, as far as I know, he's down in Hawera. Hawera. That's a small country town, similar to Paidoa, about four hours away. Des is kind enough to track down the necessary contact details, and I give them a call. Glenn Rogers owns South Taranaki Funeral Services, and it turns out he's been expecting my call. It's a small world in the funeral industry, it seems. Straight away, I'm not off to a good start. This is going to burst your bubble, I'm afraid, my friend. I was not living in the premises across the road at the time. However, I was the funeral director that attended to Jordan's body. So look, long story short, we actually had another staff member um, in the premises at the time, and I actually can't remember his name, unfortunately. At the time of this call, Glenn couldn't recall that staff member's name, but he texts me back a few minutes later, saying he did remember. That man's name was Stephen Roberts. Um, I know he was working in Rotorua for a time. Um, I'm not sure if he still is. Uh but he was living in there, and he actually wasn't home that evening, or didn't hear anything. I know that he said um, he didn't even realise it. I think he may not have been home. Glenn has made it very clear to me that as this was almost 10 years ago, he can't be 100% sure, and we do need to bear this in mind. But from his recollection, the fact that staff member Stephen Roberts was either not home that evening or didn't hear anything is in stark contrast to the police's stated timeline that at least one gunshot was heard from the funeral home at 2am. It's clear that I'm going to need to speak to Stephen himself, but he's proved difficult to find. 
He may have worked in Rotorua for a time after Paidoa, and we believe he may have ended up in Australia, working there. If you have any knowledge of Stephen's whereabouts, please contact us. Um, but I got the police call because we had the police contract for Pyro. Um, so I got the police con- police call to, to come down and attend Jordan's body at the time. And even then, there's probably not a lot I can tell you because um, in any form of forensic case like that, you basically uh, meet at a distance and you hand your stretcher over to the police officers and they handle everything and bring you back a stretcher with a, a person on it. Um, for you to put in your car, and then um, you end up with a police officer who travels with you to the mortuary. So, um, so were you the person who prepared the body for the funeral? No. No? No. Oh. No, we did not do Jordan's funeral. Ah, okay. Um, we were there as, as um, police contracted funeral directors. So... Um, uh, so we get called on behalf of the, of the coroner. Um, we're basically the coroner's transport agent. Um, and it's our job to attend crime scenes um, or car accidents or anywhere where a death has been unexpected um, to uplift the deceased and, and bring the deceased back into the coroner's care, you see, um, which is what happened with Jordan. Um, so, of course, I turned up. Everything was all cordoned off, big tents over... Um, over the um, uh, over the back entrance to to Jordan's uh, driveway and shop, because I used to hire one of the garages that was around in, in the same area. Um, and so, yeah, basically, I, I pulled up and and the detectives took my stretcher and um, took it off into a tented area and and came back obviously with Jordan on it. But I did actually know Jordan. Um, oh, you did. I did. He's a hell of a nice guy. Glenn goes on to tell me that the funeral home is actually split into separate parts. The funeral home and an apartment for staff. Glenn did live in this apartment for a time. I asked him how soundproof the building is and whether someone might hear a gunshot. Because you lived there after that time, what would be your thoughts on sort of when you're inside at night, how much you can hear? Is the accommodation on the other side? or So... If you're looking at the funeral home, yep. the accommodation is down the right-hand side. The funeral home is down the left-hand side. However, and this is the thing, it's a solid block building, right? Yeah. Which the other problem is is that if you're standing on Hall Street looking at the funeral home, the master bedroom is right at the very back of the building. Um, and if you're in a deep sleep in a solid block building, it's not always the easiest Across the road, at the back of the building, across the road, you've got the fire station and you've also got the um, uh, landing pad for the helicopter for, for Pyrol, which is right there by the, the fire station. Um, they can have helicopters land and, and fire sirens go off. You learn to sleep through it. And yeah. when you're living in in town, as it were, as much of a town as Pyrol is, and you've got trucks that are coming through down the main road, um, after a while, you just learn to sleep through it. Mm. Yeah. So, would you? Would we have heard a, a firearm go off? Um, maybe, maybe not. Um, because, as I say, your body trains, teaches itself to sleep through things. So, could a gunshot have been heard? Maybe. I make a mental plan to try a field test at some point in the near future. Glenn and I continue to talk about his fond memories of Jordan 
and the conversation swings to the finding of Jordan's body and Rusty, or Linda Hunter. Glenn knew Linda loosely, as they all lived in close proximity, and I asked him if he's aware of the time delay in reporting Jordan's body being found. He says he is, and does admit it's odd, but follows it with this statement. Hey, you can, you can make a million assumptions just by looking at someone, and you can make a million wrong assumptions too. Of course. Um, so I can't, I can't really say anything just on the look of the man. Yeah. Um, uh, Rusty was always a bit rough around the edges, and so were her mates. Um, but some of them, you know, I know a lot of people that are rough around the edges, but they've got good hearts, you know. He makes a great point here. While the very nature of an investigative podcast like this will always involve an element of speculation, it's crucial that any questions are asked for the right reasons, not because of the way a person looks or how they might wear their hair. One thing is absolutely certain. The only way to remove doubt and clear up the rumours is to go to the source. Rusty no longer lives in Paidoa. She sold up her shop three years ago and has since moved away. I managed to track down her phone number, but if I'm honest, I sat on it for a week. I knew this was potentially going to be a very important phone call. Ideally, I would have liked to meet her in person, but I had no idea where she lived, so that wasn't possible. I decided to just give her a call and see what happened. My first couple attempts were met with an answering machine and no immediate reply. Just when I was starting to think I was hitting a dead end, my phone rang. Hello, Ryan speaking. Hello, Ryan. Is it Brian? Ryan. Ryan Ryan. Yeah, um, I've got a missed phone call. Yes, yes. Um, My name's Linda Hunter. Guilt is written, produced, and edited by me, Ryan Wolfe, and is a product of Brevity Studios New Zealand. Additional voice acting, Lewis Roscoe. Closing track, Jukebox, by Patrick Patricios. While this podcast is not made for any financial gain and nothing is expected, producing shows like this require a huge amount of time and money. If you'd like to show your support with a small donation, it would be greatly appreciated, and you can do this at our ACAST support page. The link can be found in the description of this episode. On the next episode of Guilt, Who Killed Jordan Vidori? So I sort of felt guilty. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then I said to my girlfriend when I was going down to the police, I said, oh, shit, I better tell them that that Barry stayed with me. And she said to me, oh, no, no, don't tell them that, don't tell them that. And that's when I lied to the police. Where I never lie, I always speak the truth or don't speak at all. Yeah. And and because of the guilt and blah, 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 I just never, I, I just lied and you know, didn't say that he'd stayed the night. And I was just wanting to ask you a couple of questions about that morning, if it was okay. No, that's a long time ago. Yeah, so you, you don't... How long ago that was? Are you, are you a detective or anything? Uh, I'm just uh, a journalist. No, fuck off.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.